Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 690 for June 25th, 2021, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Barb Bouchatz, back with Programming by Stealth, 119 of Acts. Evidently, last time I said 118 of 10, and I don't know. Were you the one who caught it? I, I did. I made a joke about you having spent too much time with Mac OS 10. Right, right. Okay, so 119 of X. Yeah. I also thought it was funny that we're on, you know, 118 of 10. That's like 1,000 and something percent. It's like, way go us. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Jill will give us a lecture on that if we say that, Bart. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it to Jill to do the math and tell me how wrong I was. And I know I was wrong because it didn't end in an eight. But anyway. There we go. Well, we've actually done a lot of great homework here. Bart's done all the work of writing and I test drove these instructions, so uh, which was a lot of fun. It was, which is, yeah, because I didn't have quite as much prep time because... Hey, family is really, really important, and Allison is going to have some fun family time. So we uh, accelerate this one in a Friday. Yeah, yeah, very good. Anyway, all right. So we are coming to the um, pinnacle of our Git journey because we said from the very, very start that the whole point was that when we were done, we'd be ready to interact with the open source community. That that was our problem to be solved. Back in what, installment 101, I think, is when we started this kit journey. <laughs> that was the idea, was. right? Yeah. I I mean, I didn't think it would... I thought. I think I said to you, oh, it's going to be a few installments, you know, five or six. It was a few, but it was not five <laughs> or six. Right, right. Well, I think but, part of the problem is, as you start teaching, you learn more? Yep, that's definitely part of the problem. Or things that in my mind are simple. When you try to explain them from first principles, you realize that... Oh, I've been making so many assumptions. And you can't assume prior knowledge, right? That that utterly, utterly defeats the purpose here. We're trying to lay a strong foundation, not paper over the cracks. So, yeah. So, yeah. And I definitely learned a lot actually teaching this, which you, you've said many times that, you know, preparing your videos for Don helps you learn stuff. Well, preparing these helps me learn stuff. Absolutely. Because I've been a Git user for years, but I'm now a much better Git user than I used to be. Anyway, so... Where we last left off is that we'd, we'd made friends with GitHub. So instead of learning pure Git, we were learning GitHub, which is one of the many options out there for hosted Git in the cloud. And we like it because uh, they are good netizens. They have a feature-rich free tier, and they have a business model that's not based on selling your information and or your soul. So all good things. Especially that soul part. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Uh, and we should say that there is also GitLab who have a very similar op- offering with very similar functionality. So if you prefer GitLab, fair enough. But one other obvious advantage of GitHub is that it is definitely the de facto home for open source projects these days with really big names like PHP having moved to GitHub just recently. Um, they had been trying to run their own and they got hacked to pieces and they thought, maybe not. Maybe leave it to the experts. So... What we'd like to do now is dip our toe in the water in terms of using open source software through Git. And really what we're going to do here is probably your average person's, you know, three or four year journey in a day. Because generally speaking, in real life, you encounter open source in a peripheral way and then you go a little deeper and then a long time later, you're ready to start contributing stuff back. But we're just going to go straight, straight the way through. So... The first thing I want to do is just to remind people that the open source community is different to working within a team. So we spent an entire episode talking about how to use Git as a team. And a lot of it boiled down to it's like using Git with a forgetful version of yourself. 
I think is how we <laughs> joked about it. And you that. rightly pointed out that a lot of what's different between using Git by yourself and using Git within a team is simply the human factor. Being a good, good, you know, netizen effectively, right? Being a good colleague or a good collaborator and just being good to your fellow contributors. And my forgetful self is not a good collaborator. I can, collaborator, <laughs> I can tell you that. She's a pain. Oh, no. always forgetting stuff. <laughs> So within the open source world, there are people who work like that, right? The key thing about working in a team like we described was that everyone on that team was technologically speaking a peer. Everyone could push and pull. In other words, everyone had right access to the central repository. So that right. meant we were all equals and we could all write code straight into the official version, the canonical version. The, the blessed repository that you know because they're technologically all the same but we have decided that this one is the one we consider canonical but in the open source world that's not really how it works there are usually in a large project a core group of people called the maintainers who work exactly like i just described who have read and write access and who can work directly with the repository so Linus Torvalds has read and write access to the Linux kernel on Git, and he has a trusted collection of, of people who have the same privilege. But the vast, vast, vast majority of people who contribute code to the Linux kernel do not have write access. They need to work through a different workflow. And if you think about it, imagine if the Linux kernel allowed anyone who wanted to contribute to just write straight to the repository. How long would it be till malware ruled the world? <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done, exactly. You know, set your hair on fire. Yes. <laughs> just a, yeah, to call back to our uh, security bit segment. So obviously there's a different workflow needed and that's where we're heading to today. So we're going to we're going to go to it through three scenarios that I think represent your average person's journey deeper into the open source rabbit's nest. So the first thing you can do is use the code exactly as it is. And you can use the code as in execute it and run it and stuff, or you can use the code to learn from. So maybe what you actually want to do is to peek under the hood and see how it's done. That's using the code, right? Mm -hmm. And that's right. the great thing with having stuff hosted on GitHub is you can literally, even just on your browser, wander in and have a look. But of course, you can just check it out using your favorite Git client and then play around in your favorite code editor so you can see all the nice syntax highlighting and stuff. And and that's the thing that confused me in the old days before I really understood what GitHub was and how it worked was people would say, oh, the, this, you can go get this software over on GitHub. And I would go to the GitHub page and there's all the source code and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't understand yes. that I could download the, the, the code and, and run it myself from, from that. And, and I was expecting a button that said, download, download. this DMG, Allison, and double click it. And it's not like that. No. Uh, in, if, you, if they offer something like that, then it will be through the GitHub feature known as releases. Because a release can be a zip file that contains the final product instead of the raw code. So an example of that is the Taming the Terminal book is an open source project on GitHub. And when we do something major, there's a release done by Helma's Magic Software. And then that release is what you would download that is the book. Yes. So when you, when you look at the repo for Taming the Terminal, you see the raw source code, which is basically a bunch of ADOC, ASCII doctor, which is, yeah, .adoc files. 
And then whenever we do a release, Helma has a script that she wrote for us, which turns those ADOC files into the PDF and the MOBI and yada, yada, yada. And those all get zipped up automatically into that release. And so in in Git world, if you want to just use someone's software, you should hope they do releases. And then, hey, presto. Right. But of course, you can browse around. And now that we're developers... That's fun, right? I will well, very a lot of often... times they're a library that you don't really need a release. You need true. You need yes. to point to it on a or download it and use it in your code, or point to it on a CDN or something. Yes, that is also true. Exactly. So there are so many different ways you can you can use the code without editing it, right? Just consume it in in some mm-hmm. way. So that's definitely step one in the open source world is just just consume it somehow. Step two then is. You find something that does 99% of what you want. You're like, well, I could just use it as it is, but gosh darn it, I wish this function took a different argument, or I really wish this function took an extra argument so I can optionally make it do bloody blah other thing. Right? It's like it's almost there, but I, I just need a little tiny tweak. <laughs> so that's phase two. And then phase three is, well... I'm using your software. It's missing a feature. I've written it for you. Would you like to include it in the official repository, in the official project? Or I found a bug. I squished the bug. Here's the fix. Or if you're a really good citizen, I went to your issues page. I found an issue that I had too. I fixed the issue. Here's the release. Here, here's the change. And you can now close the issue. Yeah, that's, that's a really nice person. That's a really nice person. Exactly. You, you would like to have loads of those. Klaus so actually did uh, did the with my uh, clock. There was a problem where you Los Angeles has a space in it, and you had to type it L O S underscore A to get the the lookup to work. And yeah. he wrote some little like four lines of code uh, and and uh, sent it, fixed it through GitHub. Yay! And yeah. I bet you and it was a never, regular. He'd never done it before. That that says a lot actually about how much work the GitHub team have put into their web UI. And, and how clever Klaus is to figure it out. That too. That also. <laughs> but I will say that GitHub has become a lot easier to use in the last... Like, I've been using it for at least a decade. And it is very obvious that they think very hard about making their UI more friendly. I, they must be collecting a lot of analytics and figuring out where people fall over. Because they always mm. seem to know what needs tweaking. <laughs> so, All right. Good. So let, let's look a little deeper at each of those three scenarios. So scenario one, use the code as is, right? So we've already said you can browse around, you can have a look, you can download a release. Uh, another thing you should know about is there's a very common convention for repositories that need some sort of build process, like taming the terminal. A lot of times, as well as just providing the, the, the zip through the releases feature in GitHub, Another convention is to add a folder into the repository itself called dist, which is short for distribution. Mm. And that will contain a DMG file in the case of a Mac app, or it will contain a zip file in the case of something that can be zipped, or it would contain an XE file in the case of a Windows app. And so that is another convention you may come across. If you if you go to a repository and you see a folder called dist, then you know that that's the bit you're supposed to just use as is. Okay. Okay. The so other, releases or dist. Exactly. Two there are conventions. Two, yeah, well releases is kind of a GitHub feature, whereas dist is a convention that's just a convention. Oh, okay. okay. Uh another very common thing 
in fact, any project that's halfway that's even halfway user friendly, the readme.md, which is the file that becomes the text on that front page on the GitHub project, will usually contain either instructions for how you're supposed to check out this library using very common uh, package managers like or like uh, npm or Bowser or one of those really common ones which we haven't yet learned about, but we will at some stage in our programming journey, probably around about 200 of X. Um, <laughs> or they'll contain build instructions to tell you how to create, how to turn the code into the thing. So they'll usually be called build instructions and there'll usually okay. be a few lines to copy and paste. Those are so all the, re- the ones I've run away from. <laughs> I mean, they are certainly the more nerdy ones, but, yeah. you know, again, so jQuery will be an example where um, they do provide a dist fo- folder, but it's like, oh, yay, it's a dist folder, and you go into it and it's empty. It's just a place. Oh. <laughs> because when you follow the instructions in the readme, you end up filling the dist folder, but you need to fill the dist folder. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Whereas Bootstrap is really nice. If you go into the Bootstrap repo, it's just there. Everything is just sitting mm-hmm. in the disk folder waiting for you to go. So different projects have different ways of doing things. So I think we've sort of covered scenario one pretty well there, unless there's okay. anything else you want to ask me. No. So scenario two then takes it to the next level, which I'm calling fork and pull. So we've already described how it might be almost what you want, but gosh darn it, it's just a little bit different. And so what you really want to have is take the code as it is, make your changes, and without Git, that would work for a while, right? You just get the latest code, make your changes, and you're grand for a while. But a year from now, how many bugs have been fixed that you don't have? Two years from now, how many security vulnerabilities have been fixed that you don't have, right? Your your hacked version of the code is getting staler and staler and staler and probably more and more vulnerable. So obviously that's not really a long-term solution. Now, the old approach before the days of Git for dealing with this was something called patch files. And the syntax for patch files is still around, right? Whenever you see GitHub spit out these plus, 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 minus, minus, minus things, that's actually in patch syntax. Oh, okay. And so you can create those with the diff and patch. So the diff command will create patches and the patch command will apply patches. So in theory, you could take the original code, make your changes, run it through the diff command, collect the patch files, and then re-download the official version each time it changes, and then hope to goodness that your patches from the last time will still work next time. (laughs) So you're not recommending that then? I mean, for a very long time, that's what you had to do. And for years, the only way to customize PHPBB was to apply patches. So when you went okay. to get a plugin from someone, they would basically tell you, patch this, patch this, patch this, patch this. And you you extended PHPBB by patching it. And it was horrific because as soon as the wrong line of code changed in the official process, the patch would fail to figure out where it should inject itself. And then it sort of throws its hands up in the air and goes, over to you. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. so as you would say, it was fiddly. <laughs> so Git is just better at doing that process. And basically, the Git primitive for dealing with this is branching. We already know you can merge branches. And 99.9% of the time when you merge branches, it just works. And if it doesn't just work, Git will hold your hand and help you to 
merge the conflicting changes. We spent literally the entirety of installment 110 helping, you know, people get over their fear of merge conflicts. So go on, I can see you. Well, yeah. So I've got a specific example. Uh, We were just talking about the, um, on the, on the clocks where we have to look Mm -hmm. up a city, we have the bootstrap autocomplete, uh, library that that you found and directed us to, and I'm using that one. And uh, but I forked it because uh, Helma and I working together figured out a reason that I needed because I'm going to be adding additional clocks. I'm allowing you to add more more um, cities. No, because I'm letting you add more cities, I've got more of these little autocomplete boxes. So I don't know how many there are. So I need to have a way to have an index associated with that uh, that yes. that uh, ID. And so we added a feature to, the, to it. Yes. I have no idea how to keep – this is a perfect example. This was like a year ago. I would like to have it keeping up with the current development, but I don't understand from what you've told me how to – do that. Well, that's because I haven't told you yet. That's the next paragraph. Okay. Yeah. I did. Okay. But you now have a very specific use case in mind. So as we talk through this, you now have a very specific example to think about. So GitHub is going to make this process easier. But the key point is that GitHub is not doing magic. It's just providing one button to do lots of things. So let us start by imagining the world without GitHub. How would okay. we do this with just the Git we know, right? So the the five-step process I'm about to describe is for plain vanilla Git. Actually, I hate saying plain vanilla. I didn't do it in the show notes because vanilla is delicious and it's not plain. Um, <laughs> but basic Git. Lovely vanilla. <laughs> Lovely vanilla, exactly. So I, I hate that we use the word vanilla to describe no flavor. It's such a flavorsome plant. Anyway, so... If we were doing it with just Git, we would start by cloning the official repository onto our own Git thingy, right? So let's imagine we're living in a pre-GitHub world. So we'd clone it onto a headless repository on our NAS, right? We'd clone the official repository onto something of ours. Okay. Then on our computer, where we do our coding, we would clone our copy from our NAS, and that would implicitly create a remote called Origin pointing at our NAS. So right. you're with me so far? Yeah. So at this point, we have what we've always had. What we now need is a second remote that points to the original canonical copy of the thing we're trying to have our own customized version of. So in your case, and a second remote pointing to the official release of the library. Because currently the remote points to my NAS? Correct. Because that's been our way of working, right? You have a copy on your work machine, which is connected to your safe copy on your NAS or on GitHub. So we've always worked with the two copies. Right, but I don't know what it means to create another remote, but I'll let you keep going. Okay, okay, what is a remote? Because this is important. This is not one you can let me just pass by. Okay. So when we add a remote, what are we doing? Don't know. We are saying this name maps to that URL. So when what I name? say origin, to what I mean... What, you, what? Okay. So a repository that's not your current repository is somewhere else. 
and it has an address, which is either, remember we said you could do it over HTTPS or over SSH or just a plain file path. So when we were doing the examples with our NAS, we just used a plain file path. So the, the, right. the URL for origin was just a file path. Right. But it, so ori- I don't so understand there being a second origin. There is, no, no, I said a second remote. So we have said that my NAS is called origin. Oh, 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 okay, okay. So just having two that are not this one is all you're correct. saying. Correct, okay. correct, correct, correct. Okay, yeah, I thought so you were saying a second origin. That's no, no. where my head was exploding. Okay. So a second remote. In other words, another one that's not me. Okay. The other one that's not me is a pointer to the official canonical open source thingy that you want to tweak. And that doesn't exist when we clone? No, we have... That- okay. We have taken the open source one and put it on our NAS. We have well, then gone to our desktop and pulled but it, from our but NAS. It knows, but it knows where no. it came from. Okay. When we, when we cloned it, it doesn't know where it came from? Okay, the one on our NAS knows where it came from. Yes. The one on our desktop an... knows where it came from. It came from the NAS. Correct. So it knows nothing about anything else. Correct. But by so have... the commutative property of equality doesn't know it doesn't know where the origin is no it has a memory of one okay where did i come from i know who my daddy is i have no idea who my granddaddy is all right so origin can only point to one thing so it only knows who its parent is so we the second thing we have to do after we've cloned it is tell it i also want you to be aware of the official repository over there so that is so every time we make our repository aware of another repository, the jargon is adding a remote. Okay. So we add a remote which points to the official project, and by convention, right, we could call it boogers. Not a good idea, but we could. By convention, we call that second remote upstream. Okay. So at this point in time, we're on our laptop. Our safe copy is called Origin, and the copy in the cloud from the official open source project is called Upstream. And are you going to walk us through how to do that, or are we not well, that's going to git do that? space remote space upstream paste the URL. I'm sorry, repeat it. Say it again. Git space remote space add okay. name URL. So git space remote space add upstream paste. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So we then work away using our favorite code editor and make our change. Mm-hmm. So open up VS Code, typey, 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 hit save, we're all happy. Mm-hmm. The first thing we do then is we push up to our NAS so that our work is safe. So right. just git push. Now, that will, at this point, we're working away fine. We're making our own change and keeping our copy. But we're getting ever further out of step with what's going on on upstream. Yes? Yes. So now the last step in the process is how do I bring the changes from upstream to me? And the answer is you use git pull to pull upstream forward slash name of branch. So git space pull space upstream forward slash probably main. Okay, and, and that then won't you, that won't mess up changes we've made in a file that upstream main has. It will merge, or a git 
pull merges changes. It's like merging right. a branch, only one of the branches is foreign, so we can't use the merge command because it'll only work with local branches. A pull is a remote merge. So you're saying take the changes from over there and mesh them together with what I have. So in the show notes, you say simply merge upstream slash main into main. Do you mean pull upstream main into main? Okay, yes. So I'm using the word merge there to because I'm describing it in English. Okay, so I'm going to put pull with merge in, in parentheses, maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, or like to merge. Or in parentheses and then in a code tag, git space pull. Okay. And then when you're happy that the merge has worked because it didn't give a merge conflict, or maybe it did give a merge conflict and you resolved the merge conflict, then you can just do a git push to send it safely to your NAS. Okay. As if it was any other change. Huh. All right. So that is how you do it without learning anything about GitHub. It is, is there really an easier just, way? It's only it's a shortcut. So Git has a GitHub has a command or a button it calls fork. And fork just automates a bunch of these steps for you. So when you fork a Git repo, a GitHub repo, it creates a new repository inside your GitHub account. Uh, it clones the fork repository into your new repository so that your fork contains all the code, and it adds a remote named upstream. Oh, okay. So that's the big advantage is by by fork is so is forking a GitHub term? Yes. Now, okay, others so have it's, copied and forking it. is just saying, okay, you know you're going to want to keep up to date with this, so don't forget who your grandfather is. Correct. And so because you have this built-in remote called Upstream with this special name, everywhere you look in the GitHub UI, you're going to see a little icon that says, this is forked from, and it'll tell you where it came from. Okay. So, I know GitHub uses the fact that it's a fork and the fact that it has this remote called Upstream to adapt its GUI to show you what's going on. And if you clone that repository from GitHub to your local computer using a GitHub-aware client, you will remember who your granddaddy is. Okay, okay, I like that better. Yes. Now, it says in the show notes in all caps to check that remotes don't come down in a normal clone. I have checked. They don't. So if okay. you do not use a GitHub-aware cloning method, you will have to manually add the remote named origin, sorry, upstream again. Okay. okay. But if you use either the GitHub desktop app, the GH command, or a GUI like um, Git Kraken, which is GitHub-aware, it will retain origin for you sorry okay. not origin upstream upstream so if you stay within the github toolkit your upstream just happens magically it's not magic it's code but as far as you're concerned i've hit the fork button and i've got it to my computer and it has both origin and upstream so basically forking just gets you to the point where you have the two the two arrows with less hassle okay okay and then you work away. So every time you want to take in the, the stuff from upstream, you just say git space pull space upstream slash name of branch. Hmm. And then in you merge the changes. So I did fork my thing so long ago from the uh, bootstrap mm -hmm. uh, command. So all I need to do is 
you said it was uh, the uh, git space pull space name of branch. So if you, you know. so assuming that you got it to your computer using a GitHub aware client. So if you go into that repository and you type git space remote, it will list all the remotes it knows about. If it knows about upstream, then you're good to go. If it doesn't know about upstream, then you need to add upstream again and point it to the GitHub URL for where it came from. Okay. And then it is a case of git space pull space upstream forward slash name of branch, which is probably main. Or pos- it's old enough, it was, it's possibly master. It could master. be master. It, it's, it is entirely possible it's master if it's old. Or... Mm. You may want to pull, let's say that the, the, you're working with a developer and the developer is doing a cool new feature that you really want that's in their beta branch. You could say git space pull space upstream slash beta. Okay. Right? It's up to you which upstream branch you pull. But whatever one you pull, that's what gets merged into your changes. So then you have your changes combined with their changes. Okay. All right. So... And that just keeps working forever. There are basically two branches that you you never bring back together. You keep them in parallel with each other, and every now and then you take the changes and you merge the, and you combine them together using the git pull, so they stay on two parallel tracks. And that that can just work forever. So that is that is a solution to the problem that is robust yeah. and solid. Um, and I, I have an example in the show notes of how you can use... Actually, you've put the example in, which is exactly the autocomplete one, and it is indeed <laughs> old enough to be on master, because I checked. <laughs> yeah, I thought... Uh, well, you said you wanted an example. I said, well, I've got one right here, the one I've been trying to do with this uh, uh, Bootstrap 4 autocomplete. So at this stage, we are almost... We're like we are within spitting distance of finishing our journey, because the final step to contribute your changes back... Everything's the same up to this point. You've forked, you've made your change, but this time, instead of keeping it to yourself, instead of keeping it under your hat, you're going to offer it to the open source project. And if you think about it, what you're actually asking is, dear open source project, please pull this commit from my publicly visible repository. So if you didn't have GitHub, but you were just hosting your Git repository on your own server somewhere, and it had a URL, you could send an email to Linus Torvalds, if you're really, really good. (laughs) Hi, Linus, or Linus, please pull from the following URL. I've done a really cool new, I don't know, VPN protocol into the kernel, just like that. Mm -hmm. And if Linus believed you, (laughs) <laughs> he could go git space pull space paste in the URL and suck your changes in. Right? Right. So that would be a non-GitHub world. But that involves you leaving the world of Git and making contact with the open source project through some sort of other channel. Maybe it's Slack. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's sending them a tweet. You know, please, you know, fetch this URL. That's not, I mean, it works, but it's not a good workflow. So this is where GitHub simply adds so frankly, just effectively their own instant messaging system around the concept of saying to the guy, you know, to the repository on the other end, please take this commit from me and merge it, pull it into your repository. 
And that is why GitHub calls this feature a pull request. Because you're that asking... That sounded so backwards to me when I first saw it. Exactly. It's like, I want to push this to you. But no, you're much more polite. But you're not, you're, allowed saying, to, you're not allowed to push. It's here. I'm holding this out for you. Would you like to pull it? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that is the difference, right? If you're working on a team, you can push. If you're offering something to an open source project, you're saying, please pull. So it's a pull request or a PR for short. And so really that's all that's going on with the pull request. So as a sort of a, an example, so, okay, I guess we should say in GitHub speak, so we're now speaking GitHub, although the, the, the GitHub's terminology has become adopted by almost everyone else. So uh, for work, I now use Microsoft's product for Git, which is Dev, there is your DevOps product. And their verbiage is exactly GitHub's verbiage. It's pull request. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, now, Microsoft do now own GitHub, so I guess, you know, that's not entirely surprising. But it just struck me that, no, no, the wording is identical. It's it's just a pull request. Uh, but there have been slight tweaks in the name over the years. But over time, GitHub's terminology has won because GitHub has been a leader for so long, frankly. So people imitate GitHub. And it's a good thing. So if you make a, a pull request on GitHub, then um, the, the receiver, which is the maintainer of the open source project, they will see that as a new pull request and they have the choice to merge, which is effectively git space pull space whatever, or close, which is basically <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. They can also choose to check out your proposed change, effectively creating a new branch on their repository that is your version of the code. They can then edit on that branch any changes they want and then merge the edited version. So is it actually pulled when they do that? Or do they pull it after they edit well, it? Okay, so under the hood, it is pulled but it's actually pulled into a branch that's sort of in neither of your repos or kind of in both of your repos. GitHub sort of behind the scenes puts it in a sort of a a neutral zone between the two repositories. Huh, okay, it's like in a DMZ or something. It's kind of like that because both people can edit the pull request until it's negotiated. Hmm. So you can keep adding changes. So sometimes, so basically in the GitHub interface, you end up with a conversation and code together in the interface. And so if you, you'll see this happen a lot where you would submit code and the polite thing to do is to read the contributor guidelines to a project where they will say things like, we have a coding style that insists there is no space each side of the equals, or that insists that you always put a space each side of the equals, or that insists that you do cuddle your brackets or you don't cuddle your brackets. They'll have a coding standard. A lot of them will. And so a lot the of big first ones. Time, certainly the big ones. And so a lot of the time, your first pull request, you'll accidentally not follow the appropriate standards for the project and the maintainer will either be very snotty and slam it in your face or on a good project, they'll reach you halfway and say, look, I see what you're doing here. You're you're almost there. You're 80% of the way. This is very good. But can you please amend to da 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 I'm going to put uh, guidelines on mine that say that you must have at least one variable named boogers. 
Sorry, okay. Bert was coffee drinking something when I... terrible time to drink a sip of coffee. Um, <laughs> I love it. I could certainly <laughs> do that, right? You absolutely could. And then you would reply to the pull request by saying, I'm sorry, but there is no variable named boogers here. Please add a variable named boogers. <laughs> <laughs> That's worth it just to do it, right? Correct. It'll, you'll so, be able to tell if anybody read the readme. Uh, apparently there were, these people used to say there was one of the great big rock bands oh they're terrible they have this stupid rider in the country that they must have a bowl of only blue M&M's it wasn't because they were stuck up it was a test does to anyone being read correct so they would walk into the dressing room and if there was a bowl of blue M&M's they were pretty confident that the electricity was right that you know all the oh. other things that actually matter for putting on a rock concert if the M&M's were there the other stuff was probably there too. At least they gave it a shot, right? Exactly. And if the M&M's were not there then you needed to have your roadies double check everything because they didn't right, read. Right. The re- ah. So there you go. Uh so yeah, good test. So you can have a conversation going on and then at the end of the conversation, the merge button gets pushed and your change comes in to the repository. Right. So that, that is the process. So to play along with this, this is very hard to simulate. So I figured why not do something I've been meaning to do for quite some time anyway. We have listeners who do really cool solutions to our various challenges. Why not make an open source project that people can add their code to? So I've called it the PBS Gallery, and I've made it available at gallery.pbs.bartificer.net. It is a GitHub Pages-powered website, which means it has a matching GitHub repository, which is linked at the top of the gallery. So you can submit any JavaScript-based web app to the gallery by basically doing the following five-step process. Step one, fork bartificer.pbs forward slash gallery. Step two, add a folder named for your GitHub username into the appropriate placeholder folder in the docs folder. So if you open the docs folder, you'll see there's placeholders for the various substantial challenges in the series. And so, you know, imagine Alison wanted to submit her world clock, then she would find the folder docs forward slash pbs92 dash world dash clock and make a new folder in there called Nosilicast because that's Alison's GitHub username. Then step three is Alison would copy and paste her code in there using the finder or if she was on Linux, something else. Um, then if Alison was feeling generous, she could test that it was working by enabling GitHub pages on her fork um, using the branch main with the source of docs. Uh, GitHub will provide the URL for the base of your fork It'll be something. It'll be your username forward slash pbs gallery forward slash something, and the forward slash something is the path within the docs folder. So in our hypothetical example, it will be nasillacast.github.io forward slash pbs gallery forward slash pbs ninety two dash world dash clock forward slash nasillacast. Yeah, let me let me uh, just talk for a second in here. So this this was confusing to me when I, I I test drove these today, and that's been it's been fun because I messed it up a whole bunch of times, and then we found things in the instructions that were maybe skipped over, and so uh, it's better for it. Um, what was interesting to me, I was under the impression that when we learned about GitHub Pages was that they just became on for my repo. That's not it. It's it's on for the directory that you're actually in. The, or the, or, well, actually, no. Depends on how you set it up. Yeah. So going in, I had to be inside uh, the uh, PBS-gallery 
within yeah, my right, yes. fork. And then, and then th- th- when I turned on the, uh, when I, I turned on GitHub pages, that's when I had to know to set the branch to main and the source to docs. Cause the first time I did it, I had, uh, main, but root or vice, no root. And anyway, got it messed Different. up. <laughs> so we have some very specifics in here to, to make this actually work. Yes. And so once you've tested it, or if you're just blindly confident, don't test, uh, then you initiate a pull request with your changes. So that's the yeah, process. No, Bart and I discovered something interesting in, in doing this is I did sort of half of it using the GUI and half of it using the command line. And GitHub got its panties in a bunch when I did that. Because I did the fork from the GUI, and then I tried to do the uh, pull request I don't know. We got it. Got confused. So I sort of feel like they should do it all one way or the other. I, that's probably good advice. So if you're going to go the command line route, go the command line route, and if you're going to go the GUI route, go the GUI route. But perhaps don't mix and match. <laughs> mix or if you match. do mix and match, make sure that you're using a GitHub aware Git client to get the version in your GitHub account onto your desktop or laptop. Which I did. Yeah, it as I say, it got itself it got itself a bit confused, and without a time machine, I I can't quite tell how it got itself confused, but it certainly got itself confused. Right. Um. So in my worked example, I'm going to add my number guessing game, and I'm going to do it on the command line because we've really focused on the command line throughout this series. But Alison took screenshots of the GUI method, so at some stage in the next few days, when when one or two of us have time, we will update the show notes with the screenshots of the pointy-clicky method. (laughs) But in the show notes is the typey-typey method, which, you know, is a good start. So I've also used this as an excuse to remind people that when you use the gh command on the command line, you are logging into GitHub. And so we met the gh command in the previous installment, I think certainly recently, and one of the steps we did was to log in. But if you haven't used it in a while, another step you should get into the habit of doing is checking that you're still logged in. And if you're not logged Hmm. in, then you go back to the step in our previous show and just log in. But it's actually good to be able to check, A, that you're logged in, but if you're someone like me who has more than one GitHub account because I wear multiple hats, it's often a good idea to check who you're logged in as. So the command is gh space auth space status, and it will tell you, in my case, a little happy tick box, logged in to github.com as bboshots, which is what I wanted. GitHub operations configured to use the SSH protocol, and then it doesn't show me the token that it's using to talk to the API, which is fine, but it tells me there is one. Right, right. So it just stays logged in indefinitely, though. Unless, I I am imagining if you, so I installed it using brew. So if I do a brew upgrade, it may end up, if I end up getting a new version of the gh command via brew, it could end up not logged in, right? Yeah, I just did a brew upgrade yesterday or the day before, but I don't know whether GitHub was upgraded. But it says I'm logged in. Good. I mean, it's probably fine, but it's always good to be able to see, particularly for me, because like I say, I have multiple hats and... Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think work would be entirely upset if I use my work identity, commit to something as cool as programming by stealth. <laughs> I would prefer credit for doing it myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, You don't want the university at some point to say, yeah, we own that now. 
Right, yeah. I mean, then hypothetically, if I was using the wrong GitHub account, they actually could because I'd basically say, yeah, that's the university's now. It's like, don't. Yeah, maybe so, yeah. a university wouldn't do it, but company sure would. <laughs> well, the incentives on universities need to find revenue wherever they can. Okay. Anyway. And this is a big moneymaker, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, huge, huge. <laughs> so now that I've checked that I'm logged in, I can use the gh command to fork the repository straight from the command line and I can actually save myself another step and immediately clone it straight to my desktop using a GitHub aware cl- uh, client. So it's gh space repo space fork space and then it's the GitHub username forward slash GitHub repository. So in this case, the username is Bartificer, which is an organization, not a person, but that doesn't matter. So you'll always see in GitHub, repositories have a double barrel name, right? It's something forward slash something. So your mm. fork will be Nocillacast forward slash PBS gallery. My fork would have been Bouchots forward slash PBS gallery. So everything on GitHub is a username or an organization slash a repository. So the official canonical version is Bartificer forward slash PBS dash gallery. So we're saying gh space repo space fork, the thing we want to fork, minus minus clone equals true. In other words, fork and immediately download to my desktop here. And you'll see in the show notes, you can see the output. Basically, you see it going, creating a fork called bbushots forward slash pbs gallery, cloning pbs gallery. And then you see it do this typical git clone thing. And then it says, yeah, updated you know from github.com be shots new branch main cloned fork tick happy so because i specify the minus minus clone equals true i get everything ready to go in one go it's just really handy so it's downloaded into a new folder called pbs gallery so i just go cd pbs gallery and now i am in my freshly cloned repository so I want to upload my guessing game. So for me, that means the the appropriate placeholder is docs forward slash pbs82 dash guessing da- or sla- dash guessing dash game. So I changed into that. And then I had used, you know, I made a folder with my username. So that's cd blah, 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 mkdirb shots. Then I popped open the finder, I copied in my files, and then I was ready to do a commit and a push. So git status shows that I'm on branch main and that my branch is up to date with origin slash main, but I have untracked files, which is my new folder, bbushots. Okay, fine. Git space add bbushots. And then I'm ready to do my git commit minus am added guessing game by Bart Bushots. Okay. Standard git commit. I'm following you 100%. You are? Sorry, did you say you are or you aren't? I am. You are good. yeah, I know that, that's never happened before in uh, in uh, 119 episodes. So I, I understand your confusion. <laughs> well, I sort of managed to talk over you. I was like, "Sugar, I really wanted that word. That was an important one." <laughs> so I've now safely committed locally. So it's now time to do a git push so that it goes up to my origin, which is my copy. So my fork gets updated in the cloud. So git push, you can see it do its thing. Boom, 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 boom. To bbushot slash pbs gallery. So now. I have my fork is correct, both in the cloud and on my machine. So now I am ready to offer the other me to accept the change. So when you're doing it, you're going to be offering it to me, whereas I'm doing it, I'm offering it to other me. Um, But anyway, it's as good a test as any. So I can make the pull request using the ghp or create 
command. So specifically, I want to give it a title, uh, which in my case, I'm calling PBS82 by Bibushots. Uh, I want to give it a body. So this is a, in the GitHub UI, this appears as a new posting that has a title and some content attached to or accompanying the code. Uh, and then, so blah, 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 minus, minus body. Okay. Uh, then there's some stuff here that I don't remember typing. Question mark, something, something. Oh, no, it writes that. So uh, Bart's oh, reading sorry, I hit the enter. output from the terminal, but it, it's it's a real weird output. Right after he says he's got uh, GHPR create title, and then he gives it a title, and he gives body, he tells it the body. The next thing it writes is question mark, which should be the base repository for e.g. querying issues for this directory, question mark. It looks yes. like something Bart typed. That confused the heck out of me. So I, I've just seen it a couple of times, so I noticed, recognized it. Uh, yeah, okay. So we have discovered in our testing since that you can save yourself being asked this question by adding minus, what is it, minus, minus, base equals, what was it? Because I, I will update the show notes. Well, after I'm going to talk about what the, 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 when you do get this question... And this is where mine went wonky is it'll ask you, do you, which base repo do you want to use yours or Bartificer? And you mm-hmm. want to choose Bartificer. Yes, you do. I was, I was wheeling along on my own and didn't notice that what I hadn't caught on was that in your show notes, Bartificer is the, the organization that owns this original gallery. B. Bouchats is just a user, just like one of us. And so yes. when you chose Bartificer slash PBS dash gallery, I thought, oh, he chose his own. So I'll choose my own. And I chose no slash PBS gallery and everything went hooey after that. Yes. And I think what I'm going to do is actually update the show notes to suggest that you can avoid GitHub asking you the question by telling it the answer up front. So if you run the same command with minus minus base equals Bartificer slash PBS minus gallery, then you'll never even be asked. Because you've just told it straight away. I want to offer this to the place it came from. Because theoretically, okay. I could offer my change to your fork, right? Because yeah. you also have a fork. So I could do a pull request to you on your fork of the original repo. Which okay. is, I mean, it's a bit head wrecking, but there's no reason you can't offer a pull request to a different copy of the same repo, to a different copy from somewhere else. So I could say gh space pure space create minus minus title minus minus body minus minus base equals pod feet or sorry nocillacast forward slash pbs dash gallery and then right. you'd get a pull request saying this weird guy bart wants to update your fork it'd be a weird thing to do but i could do it <laughs> <laughs> so anyway the the key point here is that i think i'm going to update the show notes to say that you can save being asked the question by using the minus minus base equals and just tell it straight away that you want to go to bart officer forward slash pbs dash gallery Sometimes there's, you know, the GH command will ask you questions, which is nice of it, but sometimes it's better to just tell it what you mean. Just Right. Just and the reason it's that, well, it's a, it's a confusing thing. So we're, the question is, which should be the base repository? And yeah. I, I don't really know what that means to answer mine or yours. So it means who you'd like, who you'd like to do the pulling. Okay, so who are you? Who are you asking for the pull from? And I yes. essentially asked for to pull it from myself. Yes, which made GitHub and, and, very confused. And that would be the equivalent of starting on your fork page and saying, 
I would like to a pull request and you're sending the request to yourself, but it's yourself stuff. So it doesn't make any sense. So when you're using the web interface, you want to go to Bartificer and make the pull request. No. On the web interface, you're not going to be asked this question because it's just going to assume you mean where it came from, which is a reasonable assumption. I don't know why it's not the default assumption oh, the command line. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good thing so, I did the screenshots. You did but do the screenshots. So, when I, so I'm at nosilicast slash PBS gallery. It says forked from Bartificer slash PBS gallery. And when I went to the, uh, to do, yeah, the there was a. wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, contribute. That's right. That was the important point was the contribute box. Yeah. So you click on the contribute box and a giant big green create pull request button appeared in front of you. And then you yeah. push the button and that button automatically filled in that you want to pull you want to send the pull request to Bartificer slash PBS Gallery. It did all that for you by just the push of a button. Which right. Is, which is one advantage of a nice shiny GUI. Right. And at that point in time, it arrived at me and I trusted you. And so I accepted the pull request. So basically, you can see my code because I did accept my own pull request. You'd be happy to know at at gallery.pbs.bartificer.net forward slash pbs82 dash guessing this game forward slash shots, And you can see my happy shiny game. Yay. And I think we can see mine too. We can see yours too. So I should update the show notes with that link as well. And my clock. And yes, I I, I have lots of show note updating to do. <laughs> um, but again, at this stage, I thought we were done. With GitHub, at the, with Git and GitHub at this stage, because this is the, what we started off. I said that where we wanted to get to is here, and we have arrived. But about what is it, about three weeks ago, you reminded me that we sort of skipped something important. Oh, at the it was actually at the end of the last episode. After we finished recording, I said, "Okay, I'm excited. Next week we're going to be done, and we're going to go to PHP." And I know we've been promising and promising and promising PHP. Sometime on the side, could you teach me what Git ignore means? Because I have all these files that I put in a folder and I said, don't upload and they all uploaded and they're everywhere and I don't want them up there. And But this Git ignore thing and you went, oh, man, of course I have to teach Git ignore. And I was it's hoping it was just some little three sentence thing you would tell me on the side. But I, I have slowed us down by one episode. <laughs> it's an important one. I'm really glad you caught it because I, I, Git ignore and it's going to become more and more and more and more important, right? Because... When you, as your code gets more complicated, you're going to start to use build tools to transform what you type into the finished product. And so those build tools can be very simplistic things that just, you know, make your code prettier, or they can be compilers that turn C code into an exe file. But all of these build processes create intermediate files. And if you don't add those to your git ignore, you end up cluttering your repository with absolute garbage. Really confusing absolute garbage. <laughs> it's it's like if you use certain... if you, I don't know if you remember the old days when you'd open a file in Word and this new file would appear with like question mark something as the file name. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're using the old VI editor, you get clones of your files as well. And so you can add the the pattern for those VI files into your git ignore file. Another one that you absolutely should add to your git ignore is the dot underscore ds underscore store files that the Mac creates everywhere. You don't want those cluttering up your git repository, so they should be in your ignore file. Yeah, so what I'm looking for is 
I don't I don't want to keep like ancillary test files and and things Correct. in a separate directory somewhere. Correct. I want to keep yes. them in the same directory with all my code. I want it all in one little bundle, but I don't want this pile of garbage to go uh, uh, to be cloned up to uh, to GitHub. Yeah, so you would make a folder with a naming convention that makes sense to you, and then mm-hmm. you would use git ignore to tell git, this folder that I made up is to be ignored. Yeah, that's what I want. And I've tried reading the documentation, could not figure it out. So that will be our final, this is the penultimate, we will have the ultimate, and then we get to do PHP. Except we're taking that slight detour into Shamewa because it's, remember we're doing the crossover between typing the terminal because you want to manage your dot .files? Oh, that's right. That's right. By the way, uh, in our uh, Slack group, in our uh, PBS channel, inside our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, people are talking about this subject. And uh, shoot, I should have had the name ready. Somebody has found a listing of like 14 different things like Shamois that will help you manage your uh, your uh, dot files. It's a common problem. The reason I adore Shamois is because it uses Git. And that just basically makes me feel right at home because okay. all the power of Git, which means I can manage it really easily. And it also uses an equivalent of mustache so that you can have it do different things on different computers. So you can have like variables that change depending on what computer you're on. Okay. I feel like different. we're never going to get to PHP. <laughs> if I'm so entirely close. 100% honest, I'm dreading it. So I'm, I'm maybe doing, I may be doing that thing. You know, the way when you're, when you're supposed to be studying for exams, all of a sudden it's really important that you clean the grout. Yep. Yep. Oh man. I had the cleanest bathrooms during uh, finals week. That was it. Cause well, you know, I would study, but I got to clean the bathroom. Yeah, I do that, yeah. My, my personal webpage when the days when people had personal homepages got updated once a year, every year, strangely around about June. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun. It is. It is. And actually, we should say, Jayla's already offered me lots and lots of help, so hopefully I won't make too much of a mess of PHP, and I will do my best to keep my prejudice against the language entirely off the show. Wait! <laughs> well, okay. That's but a yeah, anyway. endorsement. Next week, we have Git Ignore to finish off our Gitting, which is a strange note to end on. We're going to end on telling Git to not take part, but it's it's important. It's important. Anyway, until then... Remember to submit your stuff to the PBS gallery and happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.